and welcome to episode 17 of Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and me, your host, Petros Patsilibus. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, I intend to shake every branch of the Coppola family tree to answer the fateful question, are they the greatest film family of all time? I do that by watching all of their collective filmographies and getting a guest each week to join me and help me answer that question. This week's guest is from all the way over in Australia. It is the fantastic Tristan Burrell from Double Impact, which is fantastic. They take this kind of deep look at films from their collective childhoods and I guess if you're a millennial it will be yours as well so they've covered some fantastic things such as space jam goodfellas labyrinth bowfinger there's a whole host of stuff that they've covered they're always churning out really great stuff they got this fantastic dynamic the two of them so i was absolutely thrilled to invite tristan on the podcast to talk about a film that may or may not be that good but you'll have to listen and find out exactly what me and tristan thought about it Again, there is no Patreon exclusive content. Uh, the time zones worked out. It was getting late for Tristan, so there's no Patreon content for this episode. However, if you would like to support the podcast anyway, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod. All that money really does help kind of keep the lights on over here at Caged in Towers. So please <laughs> as is always the case we do not leave any tomb unchecked we do not leave any vampire unstaked any head cut off in regards to spoilers so if you haven't seen this film please be sure to check out a handy document in the show notes that will tell you if and where this film is streaming it's an open source uh document as well so if you live in another country or if you spot anything that needs to be added to the list feel free to go on and do it so assume if you're with us you've seen the film or you do not care for spoilers so all that's left to do is to garner a reputation where you have a terrible nickname like vlad the impaler make a pact with an ancient vampire who dwells in a cave and suck some blood as we make some coppola connections Today's film is Dracula Untold, directed by Gary Shaw, written by Matt Zazamar and Burke Sharpless. Those names don't sound real. Starring Luke Evans, <laughs> Dominic Cooper, and most importantly, the director of photography on this film, it's this week's Coppola Connection, John Schwartzman. To tackle this film, I don't just need mystical vampire superpowers and a little bit of help. So I've enlisted one half of the Double Impact podcast, Tristan Burrell, to help me figure out why Vlad the Impaler is painted out to be such a nice guy. How are you, Tristan? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I want to say I'm excited about talking about this film, but I may have made a massive mistake by watching Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula before watching this yesterday. It's, it's an interesting point of contrast, isn't it? I, I yeah. feel like it's, it's my fault. I chose this movie. But I would also say, without <laughs> giving it all away just yet, I was like 
somewhat pleasantly surprised. I had very low <laughs> expectations. But, but I, yeah. I chose it because um, when I go on other people's podcasts, because our podcast is so focused on 80s and 90s with a skew towards the Jean-Claude Van Dams of the world, I, uh, I try and choose something as far away as possible and this felt like something different. But yeah, I did not have high hopes at, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the earliest things I read was this was supposed to like kick off a kind of MCU yes. style universe and then realized there's no other films in that universe. I was like, this is well, it's bad, the, isn't it? It's the on again, off again, dark universe thing. Uh, because you had Tom Cruise's The Mummy. I think I, Frankenstein might have been part of that. I think they were going to... There's that, there's that cast photo and it's got like Johnny Depp's in there. I think he was going to be the Invisible Man. And it's, it's on again, off again. It's like it's yeah. off, but then someone will make an Invisible Man movie. Um, remember that one that came out, the Bloomhouse one came out? Yeah. And, the, and it did well. So they're like, well, maybe we should still do it. Let's <laughs> keep going. And so it keeps – I think this one was supposed to be sort of the Iron Man of the bunch with that, with well, that well, ending of where the games begin. Yeah. Bizarre, bizarre. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> ending. We'll definitely. Yeah, get to it. yeah. Um, before we do, though, I wanted to talk about Dracula and like vampires in yes. general, and kind of your relation to it. Are you a fan of the Dracula story? I would say I'm a I'm a fan, but a, a relatively passive fan. So I I should caveat this entire episode by saying I'm by no means a Dracula expert. <laughs> I um most of what drove my decision is what I said as as you know getting as far away from the movies we typically cover uh, as possible. Uh, in saying that, I was trying to think what is my most, I guess, uh, consumed Dracula-related content, and I realized Count Ducula. Do you remember Count Ducula? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Castle Dracula, home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks, the Counts of Dracula. Legend has it that these foul beings can be destroyed by a stake through the heart or exposure to sunlight. This does not suffice, however, for they may be brought back to life by means of a secret rite that can be performed once a century when the moon is in the eighth house of Aquarius. Blood. The latest reincarnation did not run according to plan. And actually, I watched it every day. Like, it's... This is great speaking <laughs> to an Englishman because, you know, when we have American guests or even some Australians, they've never heard of it. But that show was the best. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, loved yeah. it. It's so bizarre. I also just watched the, the, um, the theme song to it just before we started chatting because I wanted to <laughs> refresh myself. <laughs> it's batshit crazy. It's so bizarre that that exists. <laughs> I, I remember that and I've I've recently been watching Darkwing Duck with my son. 
you remember that? It's like oh, kind of like... Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like a duck PI. Duck wing, duck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, what a time to grow up. The other... The other um, I do really, really like Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, it, um, you know, including Keanu Reeves to a degree. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I think part of me choosing this film was also the fact that I couldn't do that film. So this is, this would also be a, an excuse to kind of talk about that a little bit. But um, I, I watched that probably just at the right time. I didn't watch it when it came out, but I watched it um, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it was just such a strange cultural artifact because it was made, what, mid-90s or something. But it was all yeah. practical effects and it gave it this strange, timeless character to it. Yeah. What, what, very what's really interesting and, about yeah. Yeah, What's really interesting about that film is it's kind of got this, like, revisionist take on it. Like, I've, I've noticed recently, yeah. especially on, like, online there's loads of people like going like it's a masterpiece and i'm like is it like do you know what I mean like i thought like especially around that time like coppola was considered like a fucking joke do you know what i mean and then like yeah and obviously after years, Jack, people, have, <laughs> people have like said like keanu reeves's accent is egregious like winona Ryder's shit but it's just so great it's just high camp and like it, it is like exactly so much fun exactly it's like it, it is high camp it's like melodrama and um it's just it's almost a bit soap opera but then it does also hit you in the feels a bit and yeah all the, mm-hmm. the practical effects and that kind of thing hope i i hope i'm not just saying this with a nostalgic lens but i do genuinely like it, it, it triggers something in my brain that makes me it hits on a different level um, it's a special movie, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, you look at the cast as well, and like I'll be obviously doing a full episode on it. But like I was watching it yesterday, yeah. going like, right, so we've got Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves, yeah. Mona Ryder, and it's like, oh, it's Tom Waits as Renfield. It's like Richard uh, E. Grant. You got like Sir Anthony Hopkins. She's like people just keep coming and coming, like Sadie Frost. And you're like, fucking hell, this is like this is great. Like this is yeah. like so. And it's fun and it paints and we'll get into this in the way that Dracula is portrayed. But like, yeah, that one, they make him like this kind of like, I don't know, he's slightly romantic, conflicted character where he's like, you can kind of understand why he is the way he is. Like, whereas this film, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into the kind (laughs) of portrayal of of Dracula. Well, I... I actually went back and watched the beginning of because I I watched it like ten years ago or so, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, but I, I haven't watched it since, and so I rewatched the beginning of it today, just because I couldn't remember to what extent they painted him as sympathetic in, in the opening, and it was a nice refresher because yeah, it's uh, quite different to this film which we'll get into, but um, now I just want to watch the whole thing now. <laughs> I'll probably watch it this weekend. <laughs> Well, this film is very much like it, it could have been called Dracula Begins. It's very much got that. hundred like, percent. Like, uh, we're going to pull out an origin story basically from that first scene 
you get a Francis Ford Coppola's film. Like, it's like, how can yeah. we stretch out that like death of the wife becoming oh. the monster like tale? Hundred percent. And I didn't. I, I, this movie came and went without me ever really noticing. And so I never really saw the trailer. I mean, maybe I saw it back in the day, but never left an impression on me. So I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I won't go into all the details now, but one thing was that that I didn't realize, I mean, if it was called Dracula Begins, that would that would have set the right expectation. But I was like, it's a great first act. And then the whole film <laughs> was still <laughs> just, the, just the origin story. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I really wasn't expecting that. But you're right. It's a very... Very of the time thing, I think the mid the mid two thousand and teens. It's kind of got this flavor of Game of Thrones meets Batman Begins meets something like Maleficent or or yeah. um, Wicked. You know, taking these classic villains and making them sympathetic and with exactly. yeah all of those pieces, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, it just puts it very firmly in two thousand fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I found a list online which talks about um, the kind of best adaptations and worst adaptations of Dracula. Oh, yeah. That are out there. And I think like this is, so, so yeah, a top five of each. And this is uh, like number three on the list. Like people consider this a real stinker. Whereas like Francis Ford Coppola's like is is considered one of the best. Um, Count Dracula uh, is probably number one. <laughs> <laughs> I think another one of the best is like the Christopher Lee 1979. Oh, wow. Um, even... And then obviously the original Bella Lugosi 1931 is like yeah. the high watermark <laughs> of kind of yeah. the Dracula story. I saw that one popping up a lot too. And the... um. The only ones I could remember, which I then, when I watched the trailers for, was uh, Dracula 2000. <laughs> when I had a look at it's so 2000. You know, there was a few movies with the 2000 on the end of the name. They're just they're the most 2000 thing that ever 2000. It's, it's like Dracula in modern day. And yeah. I'm so glad this movie didn't start there. And um, the other one was Dracula Dead and Loving It with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Which I didn't realize was a was a Mel Brooks film, which makes it even more disappointing. Maybe it's good. I don't think I ever watched it. But <laughs> I think it's it's a heavy pastiche on the Francis Ford Coppola yeah. film. So like it takes a right. Lot of its that probably came soon after. That. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So before we talk about Dracula Untold, I always like to ask my guests a few questions to kind of mm-hmm. see what their Coppola credentials are. So when did you first become of aware of the Coppola family as this kind of, I like to say, like this entity that they were this spider's web of a family. I think the web has only really become obvious to me in the last few years. So obviously Francis Ford Coppola was the first one I became aware of for obvious reasons. Um, but even him, like I didn't watch The Godfather for a long time to the point where I was almost saving it. Um, I'm similar with music. When it's there's an artist everyone tells me I'll like, I'll just be like, all right, I'll get to it. It's gonna be. I want it to be like a good, especially with a movie. You want it to be a perfect uh, viewing and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of saving it. So I was relatively late to the party, even with 
Francis Ford Coppola. Um, but then went pretty quickly through a few. I still haven't seen all of them. Um, I guess I've seen Jack. Oh, Jack might have been the first one I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking of realities of when I grew up. Yeah. Um, yeah no, same here. Like, <laughs> I, I laugh. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and um, Apocalypse Now, which um, was, feels more like my kind of thing than the God- Godfather is one of those ones I respect and appreciate, but I'd probably more quickly go and rewatch Apocalypse Now. Um, and then Sophia Coppola, my wife actually, my back when she was my girlfriend, uh, was a big fan of Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. film. And I was very, I'd, had, I'd totally been dismissive of it and she showed it to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, interesting. I, and I, I assume that was before I watched Lost in Translation. So I, I became aware that there were at least two of them at this point. Um, and then I think it was when I realized Nicolas Cage was a coppola that, that everything started to unlock, you know, it's, it's, I, uh, my mind yeah, it's, expanded <laughs> it's and when then Jason start, Schwartzman and yeah. Yeah. That, that's the mad one. I think it was only like a couple of years ago. I found out that Talia Shire was Jason Schwartzman's mom. And I was right, like, yeah, I still don't really understand the family tree. I tried to look it up today, and it's still a bit confusing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like Jason Schwartzman's mum is Adrian from the Rocky films, which is just like, yeah, that's absolutely batshit crazy. And then like, you've got right. like, so Roman. I, wait, I didn't realize she was a coppola. That's crazy. Yeah. And see, <laughs> so my, I, 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 I winced a little bit when you said my coppola credentials because I, I'm a little rusty. Um, right. To the point where when I chose this movie, I thought it said Jason Schwartzman next to it, not John Schwartzman. <laughs> and so I thought he was going to be in this movie. And then I got to the end and I was like, wait a second, it was Jason Schwartzman. And then John Schwartzman popped up in the credits and I was like, oh, cinematography, of course. And so he's Jason Schwartzman's brother, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like. Yeah, okay. And he's one who's in there for like, he's only a, he's like a half brother. So like. Ah. Uh, Technically, like his his mum isn't Talia Shire, so some people could say like oh, I shouldn't. Okay, I shouldn't be covering his films, but I, I always think he's probably been to the Coppola like family estate for Christmas. Hundred percent. So I've he's, grown he's, up he's with half siblings. I'm a half sibling myself. I yeah. I would hate to be not considered part of my own family. He's a hundred percent a Coppola. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think when I saw like a, a quote from Nick Cage talking about working with him on The Rock as like a cousin, I was yeah, like, he's on the list. We'll have him on the list. And um, Cage is—I'm sure you've covered this before—but Cage is a coppola. Like he's just changed his last name, right? That's his like a straight up coppola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nicholas Kim yeah. Coppola. Yeah, his so his yeah. dad is Francis Ford Coppola's brother. And did he just change his name just? to create a bit of space just, for himself. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always that really funny thing because people go like, he's carved out his own niche, he changed his name. And it's like, yeah. Still your you family. His, <laughs> yeah, and if you look at his early filmography, it's like his second ever film is Rumblefish, which yeah. is a Francis Ford Coppola film. And he's in like a handful of Francis Ford Coppola films early on. It's, it's like... You can't like be like I'm distancing myself from the family and then go, Uncle, 
please, can I be yeah, in yeah. your film? There with the begging bowl. The name like, really so. is just... It's like, no, 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 I just wanted to change the perception that there was any kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to benefit from nepotism. I don't want people <laughs> to realise that it's nepotism. Yeah. Or to people even to, to think that I want to benefit from nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Amazing. So what would have been... Th- this is kind of... Uh, probably going to be a bit hard because you don't tend to look out for cinematographers but like yeah do you know what would have been the first john swartzman film you would have seen well i had to look it up because you're right i think um i i feel this is the type of thing that always make i, I got a movie podcast and i don't know shit about cinematography or cinematographers. <laughs> <laughs> um and so i had to educate myself a little bit and i was surprised of what i learned with with john swartzman so this guy is he is a Michael Bay guy. Like, yeah, I think almost all of the Michael Bay movies, and I, he credits himself with coming up with that Bruckheimer Michael Bay aesthetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's um, so he's quite influential. I, I had no idea who he was and what he'd worked on. And I think looking, I looked at all the the full list. I think technically, probably the first one I would have seen was Airheads. Oh, amazing. Remember that, Brendan Fraser? I mean, I'm not going to say the cinematography of that film um, really <laughs> took my breath away. But, uh, I mean, that's one of the that's the kind of movie that we we need to rewatch on my podcast. But um, I haven't really, yeah, it didn't leave a lasting impression on me, that one. But then I think <laughs> the next one was probably Armageddon. Oh, um, absolute gem. Yeah, and I haven't watched that since I was a kid either. So and that was just purely looking at the chronology of all these things and I, I assume they were probably the first ones I saw. But, um, yeah, it kind of blew my mind that he kind of regards himself as the guy that that cemented that Michael Bay aesthetic, which is of significance. And I've got to tell you before we get into it in detail, but I've got to tell <laughs> you this movie I thought looked pretty slick before I even yeah. knew we were watching it. Because of the cinematography, <laughs> I was like, "This is a good-looking movie." Well, well, that's the thing. He kind of seems like a bit of like an undersung hero in regards to like yeah. cinematography. Because there are there are certain ones out there that like people go, Roger Deakins. Do you know what I mean like kind of yeah, like Blade Blade Runner forty nine, twenty forty nine, and stuff like that? Yeah. Like kind of or like Wally Fister tends to be the people who work with like yeah, Christopher Nolan's and stuff like that get shouted yes. about but like somebody like john swartzman he seems to be a bit of like a journeyman do you know what i mean he will do he yeah. will just do like loads and loads of films and then like even yeah even if you look at those those especially those two michael bay films from the 90s kind of the biggest hits the rock and armageddon yeah two films that are in the criterion collection which fucking blows my mind that like do you know what i mean this kind of <laughs> club of like like mustache twirling have gone we're gonna have two michael bay films please like um yeah and the fact yeah that he is he is instrumental in kind of getting that that aesthetic that as jingoistic and flag waving as it is it's kind of like yeah it's it's still got a big hook to it and you can see when he when he does the non-michael bay stuff like this movie and like um jurassic world and a bunch of other things that he does it. He has a few different gears. He doesn't have to turn it all the way up to the bay levels. 
Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, again, I, I'm not, I'm no expert in cinematography or cinematographers, but I imagine it's it's almost like you know how there's some songwriters that are quite famous, and then there's some songwriters that you've never heard their names before. Um, or maybe even more like those character actors where you see them in a bunch of things but you never know their names. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that but even more so because it's behind the scenes. But he's made pretty stuff in front of all of our eyes and a lot mm-hmm. of us never noticed who he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about Dracula Untold. I have been waiting an eternity for a man of your strength. <laughs> What kind of man crawls into his own grave in search of hope? A desperate one. The Turks threatened to destroy my kingdom. They're almost here. I want the power to save my people. Save my family. Your salvation is in the dark. And all its power. Welcome to your life. You will have the strength of a hundred men. And dominion over the night and all its creatures. At what price? You have no idea. But I'm going to show you. Drink. What's happening to you? I chose this. Why? Men do not fear swords. He is coming. They fear monsters. This is not who you are. Do you think you are alive? Because you can fight! You are alive because of what I did to save you! The world... Never forget who I am. So when... Yes. When when did you first see this? Is this a first time watch for you? I watched it for the first time yesterday. I was very skeptical. I remember because I think I Frankenstein came out the same year and I remember seeing these posters. Uh, yeah, I was living in New York at the time and I remember seeing the posters on the subway thinking that looks like fucking trash. <laughs> <laughs> especially especially I Frankenstein. I think for that one I had seen the trailer and I think it was a little bit more like it's Frankenstein but he's ripped and it's the modern day and he's a bit of a superhero. Mm. And I kind of just put this one in the same bucket. So I was kind of expecting like, oh, it's Dracula, but he's ripped and he's in the present day and he's doing things. Um, but it wasn't that, which was a pleasant surprise. But, yeah, I hadn't, I, hadn't um, I knew nothing of this. And I guess also maybe one softer push into why I chose this one was I've recently realized I like Luke Evans. Mm-hmm. I, I'd kind of dismissed him, maybe because of this movie. I'd, I'd kind of dismissed him for a long time. And then um, when he was cast as Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast, not that I'm a huge Beauty and the Beast fan, but my wife is. And just the fact that he can sing, just like yeah. a, a switch 
went in my brain where I'm like, oh, he's interesting. <laughs> I just didn't expect that. <laughs> and um, and then I think I saw him on James Corden doing some singing and things, and I was like, you're an interesting guy, Luke Evans. I'm yeah. I'm listening. I'm listening. So I, I was keen to just see, yeah, what what he brought to this. But yeah, outside of those two elements, I knew nothing of this film. <laughs> There's that thing around this time you had, like you mentioned, I Frankenstein. I think one that really jumps out to me is that Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter that came oh, out. Yeah. I'm not sure if you remember. <laughs> and like, they all kind of had this same aesthetic where it's like, yeah, really dark and dreary, and it's like moody and broody and sexy. Yeah, and it's kind of got like yeah. a superhero edge to it, and it's a bit like. I was working at a cinema when this came out, and I remember like going like, not legit, like free tickets. All I wanted to see yeah. films, and this was what I just went uh, hard pass, please. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, doesn't exactly. No, I would not. I wouldn't. Oh man, I wouldn't have ever watched this movie. I don't think for <laughs> this podcast. But it's interesting too because I was thinking as you said that, like in the nineties, we had Bram Stoker's Dracula, and then we had Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as well. By um, what's his name? And um, and Brunner. Yeah, and it's almost and they were of a similar, what was yeah. it, I guess, of the time. But it's almost like oh, you could kind of go back through history and get a sense of what the decade was like by looking at how they adapted <laughs> Frankenstein Dra- and Dracula. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the two thousands one is again is extremely two thousand. Yeah, so it's uh, it was a mystery to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind giving us a synopsis of this film? All right, I'll do my darndest. So, it's 15th century in Romania, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> and we've got, we've got Vlad the Impaler, which I believe we can try dive more into that, but which I believe is a new element in terms of it being officially Vlad the Impaler, um, who becomes, well, AKA already known as sort of Vlad Dracula. This is one of my questions about Dracula that I'm a little vague on. But here's Vlad the Impaler, uh, Prince of uh, Wallachua and Transylvania, um, the Ottoman of the bad guys, Turkish, I believe. Is When they say Turks, that sounds like a racial slur. Am I allowed to say Yeah, Turks? yeah, I was thinking that. And I, I'm, I, I'm half Greek and they've got a big, like, beef with the Turkish, but even I was a bit like, I don't think you can call them the Turks. I don't think I can say that, yeah. So uh, the Turkish people were wonderful people. Um, <laughs> they, had, they had a disagreement and there, there was tension. Um, in this particular scenario, uh, I guess a bunch of scout troops with the Turkish army had disappeared. Um, Vlad and co found some evidence of some kind of foul play and traced it back to a vampire in a cave up on a hill. Needless to say, the Turkish army was not over the moon about <laughs> their troops going missing. Assumed it was Vlad the Impaler. I don't know why. Maybe something to do with his name, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> <laughs> um, war ensues. Um, the head of the head of the the Turkish army wants to take a thousand boys from Transylvania, including the son of Vlad. Um, he realizes he needs to step up his game a bit if he's going to beat these guys. He doesn't want to give up the kids. And so he goes and revisits that vampire in a cave and gets, I guess, a free trial of what it's like to be a vampire. This was a new element, I think, right? <laughs> I love that. 
Um, but he gets one of those, you know, sometimes when you sign up for a new piece of software or Netflix, you sign up for Netflix and you get seven days free. <laughs> he got vampires do this too apparently. Um, but it's for three days. And um, the catch is he's going to crave human blood. As long as he doesn't indulge, he'll, re- he'll revert back to normal after three days. But if he consumes human blood, he will be a vampire forever. Um, he ends up defeating the entire army almost by himself. His wife dies. He avenges her by drinking her blood and becoming a full-blown vampire, infecting his whole village, and then they go and unleash on the army, yada, 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 yada. Um, he wins. He kills all the vampires, including himself, which was an interesting twist. Um, and then we get the old tacked-on ending of, wait, but he's actually alive and now he's in the <laughs> present. <laughs> so it was... Um, Look, I feel like I maybe put different weightings on different part of different parts of the plot there, but that's in a nutshell kind of what went down. I'm sure we can talk about different elements of that elements of that in a bit more detail. But I, I think the thing for me was I was not expecting the plot that I just went through, except for the present day stuff. Feels like it sh- it is the first act. It should be the first act of the film. And yeah, then I want I want to see the rest of these adventures. And it's not like it was a super long film either. It was. 90 minutes, like it yeah. could have been two and a bit hours and stretched it out a bit. But anyway, that's the plot. There there was a moment it, it got to, but I think it's before they have like the the final showdown where everybody's vamped up and kind of like all going for blood, where I was a bit like, is this it? Like that, that's yeah, what exactly. it dawned on me. It's like, this is it. Like we're not like. Same. And, and I realised. We've only really been introduced to Vlad the Impaler, his wife, kind of. Like, I couldn't yeah. tell you, like, without looking it up, I couldn't tell yeah. you what the, the character's name was. And, like, we get all these, like, tertiary characters, whether it's these, these kind of right-hand hand men and stuff like that. And I'm like, when one of them dies, I think it gets, like, stabbed in the woods, I was like, we have not really been introduced yeah, to that and they look the same all. those guys yeah 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 and there's like a, a <laughs> bad version of him who's kind of like looks like yeah. he's wandered off the set of game of thrones with or like Vikings yeah 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 more so and i was like that they look they look the fucking same and then we've got i, I struggled with that on game of thrones in the season <laughs> one <laughs> this is white guys with beards but yeah, I had a similar thing because, and again, going in with zero expectation, I think if I had watched the trailer, I, I did watch the trailer just now, just before we started chatting as a bit of a refresher. And I'm so glad I didn't watch it before because mm-hmm. I, had, I had no expectations. And I actually was, I was quite engrossed in the beginning. And I was like, this is pretty, this is a pretty good opening to a Dracula film. I'm, I'm like, I get what this is laying down. And then I hit pause go to the bathroom or something and then i realized oh i'm over halfway through (laughs) this is going to be the whole movie like this is i thought we were just establishing wow (laughs) and there are a few elements that i was kind of confused about too with the the bat cave thing when we say it like that it sounds like batman but the 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 vampire in the cave because that's that's not how it goes i don't think in mary shelley's frankenstein the book or the movie don't think that's in, what in Bra- Bram Stoker's Dracula. I don't think I don't know. Yeah, I, f- I think it, ve- it very much <laughs> is 
Yeah, I think the the Francis Ford Coppola one does does yeah. get it. Like it is just this thing of like he makes a pact with the devil almost. Just yeah, kind of like and so he renounces God. He's like the original vampire. That's the yeah. idea of it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that kind of threw me too because in this, there's already a vampire in the cave, and so then I was thinking, so is he Dracula? And this is like a new spin on mm-hmm. like what? He wasn't. <laughs> so, and then I rewatched the opening of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Sorry, I think I said Mary Shelley's before. And um, <laughs> it was, yeah, he, he, he does that whole thing where he's like, oh, what, what kind of, I do all this to serve God, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and then he stabs the, the, the crucifix in mm-hmm. the middle and all the blood, you know, all that kind of shit. So, he, yeah, he's like the OG vampire and everything happens after. Like, he's the source of. All vampires, theoretically. Not the first vampire story ever told, but within the story, that's what it's supposed to be. And so, yeah, that wasn't in this. And then similarly, I wasn't sure. You know when you watch any vampire movie or zombie movie, it's always hard to tell. It's important to know whether in this reality they've heard of zombies or vampires before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like in The Walking Dead, they call them walkers because there's – in this reality, there's no such thing as a zombie movie or whatever. Um, in this one, people seem to know how to kill a vampire. So, I mean, I guess it jives with what I just said that I guess vampires did already exist and he's just happens to be a pretty good one. Like, it's, it's an int- I, I feel like that's a weird way, a weird decision to make. It seems, yeah. Well, we get that character, don't we? Like the monk played by Paul Kay, who mm. is what, what is very interesting about this film is like who chooses to do accents. So he kind of like puts yes. in this kind of like, yes, you've come. To yes. me. Like you've, 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 and, and he kind of like gives us the exposition dump where he's like, he pulls out all yeah. these weighty scrolls and like perfect, <laughs> yeah. perfect drawings of the vampire and stuff like that. And it's, it makes it out like it's, it's a guarded secret that only like the kind of like the people in the yeah in the that's right know about like the these kind of yeah these monks in this monastery are aware of the legend of the vampire. But as you said, like as the film goes on, all of a sudden it's like everybody knows like like ah oh, silver stakes. Like we know exactly. Like, yeah, I'm surprised people weren't like throwing garlic at at, at him. At, yeah, because. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't really set out how everybody knows the law yeah. of. I even had to check. I was like, I thought silver was werewolf. Like, I was like, I had to like <laughs> look back. Like, it's kind of like googling. Like, what are the rules of vampires? Is this look, following exactly? Them? I because I was doubting myself again, not being an expert, <laughs> but I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not is that a. It was a few things. I mean, none of this is necessarily bad. Because I don't mind watching something that I'm like trying to like, you know, process. That's that's kind of good. But um, I think the specific thing about not having because they still, I feel like they still could have had him kill his wife earlier and have him, you know, have a similar thing to Gary Oldman in in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and make a deal with the devil kind of deal. It's bizarre. Well, I've got a clip of Luke Evans talking about playing 
Vlad being paler. Let's yeah, let's let's have a listen okay. to what to say about it. I think what we're trying to do in this film is to um, present him in all the different lights that he was seen at seen in. You know, he was uh, he was a warrior. He was a prince. He was a leader. He was a fighter. He was a he was a family man. He also he had he had a family. He he loved his wife. Um, he also was a very fair ruler, um, and he was a man who stopped the Ottoman invasion of Europe. He stopped it dead in its tracks, which is a historical fact, you know. In this tiny little t uh, little country, you know, he actually was the man and the army that stopped it. So, what do you make of the portrayal? Of Vlad the Impaler, because I know, like historically, like from what I know, he was a bad dude, right? Exactly. <laughs> he left out the part where he impales people. Because I'm not an expert on Vlad the Impaler. What am I an expert on? You may ask. Not <laughs> not vampires <laughs> of Vlad the Impaler, but um, I didn't know he was a real guy. And then when I looked it up today, I was like, oh. And then I was like, wait, is Dracula always Vlad the Impaler? And he's not necessarily so. Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He he was never explicitly him, but I, no. I guess was inspired by. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. But I um, so I looked up Vlad the yeah. Yeah, I, I was looking it up today. The, the real guy, and that was kind of interesting. But I mean, I guess in those days, is anyone truly good? I guess it's just <laughs> what you did at the time. I mean, he seemed to take pleasure in the impaling, which is not a point in the good guy basket necessarily. Um, but he's, <laughs> I mean, you don't get a name like that for being a great bloke. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, they, they spend a lot of the time of this film telling us he's a really good guy. As a, yeah. like, But then there are just like, there are massive red flags, like, when he has that conversation with Charles Dance in the cave and he's like, he kind of, he, again, it tries yeah. to explain away the way he does, like the way he does things where it's like, the guy's a cold blooded killer when he's like, how does it feel to like murder all these? And he says, like, how many people have you killed? And he's like, hundreds. He's like, don't ever <laughs> lie to me again. And then like, he's like, thousands. And he's like, how did you yeah. feel about it? And then he's like, I felt nothing. He's like, Right, that that answer right there proves he is a fucking psychopath. Yet yeah, the film portrays it like, but he loves his wife and son. It's like, what? What's it? Play it more like that then. <laughs> well, this is the thing too, because at the time when he said that, I was okay with it because I thought he was still going to become more of a bad guy. So I was kind of expecting this film to be an arc of starts as a good, like a Breaking Bad compressed into a movie. Like he starts as the good guy and ends up becoming the bad guy. And um, and so with that, I'm like, oh, okay. So they're kind of showing that there are some like seeds of evil in there and it's just going to, you know, get to the next level once he becomes a vampire. But you're right. They're, they're trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too a bit. I think it would make more sense if it was more like um, just showing us that he has a code. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he says he felt nothing – Someone that has a code would still feel something yeah. in killing those people, but it's like, but I had to do it. Like I hated doing it, but I had to do it kind of thing. He didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> he felt nothing. So it was bizarre. 
you would have like got this idea that he would have been conflicted somewhat because we get that back yeah, again. Yeah. We get this backstory of like him being like this child soldier and is known as what like son of the dragon and he's got this kind of like cool armor and stuff like that. And it's like from the get go, it's like this guy's a ruthless killer. Like, do you know what I mean? He's yeah. like he's called like and people relish in the fact of calling him Vlad the Impaler. And it's like that isn't yeah. like I don't know, like yeah, if if I met if I if a friend of mine went, Oh, I'll go down the pub, I'm like, who are we meeting? Oh, Vlad the Impaler, I wouldn't be like, Can't wait, like, what's he like? Uh, he's really good at Paul. I'd be like, Well Did you say you just don't lose Vlad the Pale Ale? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vlad, oh Vlad Vlad the yeah, Pale Ale. Yeah, I love him. It's like yeah. yeah. Just just don't just don't let him lose at Paul because he will fucking like shove the pool cue in you and like impact yeah. you like it's fucking it's crazy and like <laughs> <laughs> i just it, yeah I, I just didn't get this whole like superhero origin story of dracula it's like that and there isn't th- it yeah i think that's where it falls down because it is obviously trying to be that which i think is just a huge mistake because the first half or even like first two-thirds it could still make it. It could still, like this film could almost be a tragedy. Maybe he mm-hmm. has to kill his, he ends up killing his wife because the, the thirst is too real for blood, you know, that kind of, like something that is more, again, yeah, more conflicted. And um, it just kind of, especially the ending. I guess we're going to talk about that ending, aren't we? Mm-hmm. But especially the ending, where which I believe was a reshoot. So I, in their defense, well, it probably wasn't the director's, or writer's choice to to have that in there. But um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, we the film ends and then they throw in another ending (laughs) where it's in present day and Dracula's walking around a New York-type-looking city Mm -hmm, and and Charles Dance is also there, otherwise known as the vampire in the cave who for whatever reason doesn't (laughs) look so monstrous anymore, looking quite sharp. (laughs) <laughs> and it's 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 like a post credit scene before, yeah. but it's pre credits essentially. One little nugget I realized though was um, so he he runs into a woman that looks like his wife, um, and her name was the same name as Winona Ryder's character mm-hmm. in Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I guess that was like an interesting callback because in that movie she plays his wife that died as well, right? So it's yes, like. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that going a similar angle there, but but yeah, at that point it feels like he's it's just present day superhero. There's there's thousands of years in between that I'm sure would have been pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's what I don't get. Yeah. Is like he's like the get like it's almost like what the game is a foot or something like. I know that's probably from um, uh, yeah Sherlock Holmes, but he kind of says that, and it's like. He says in that cave, he's like, once you, like, if you become a vampire, you will unleash me from this cave and we will have this, like, battle and you will become my servant. It's like, oh, why is he... that's right. I missed that. He's yeah, like, why have he, why okay. has he left him for all that, all that time? Do you know what I mean? It's like, this right. is... So that explains day. why he's out of the cave. But, yeah, it doesn't explain why he's waited <laughs> until... The two thousands <laughs> to make his move. Yeah, I just, I just don't 
it doesn't it doesn't make sense like it kind of yeah it's, it's bizarre. and the other thing is i he like again i just wish dracula became bad because the other angle i was thinking was you know when you're immortal and you live for thousands and thousands of years human life might seem pretty trivial so like maybe you're not so evil but you might just be of the same perspective that we would have with ants that you step on like you know what yeah, i mean yeah, it's yeah. it would be interesting to again not knowing what this movie was going to be i was i was expecting something where by the end of it he's a bad bad man and it just mm-hmm. never came one yeah. of the things i was uh upset that it didn't set up and it kind of definitely and it that's the thing instead of setting up this kind of weird vampire rivalry if they had kind of like i don't know set up that like van helsing in some regard do you know what I mean because it's like yes, that is the yes. more classic kind of battle instead of this kind of new thing of like it's an old vampire who's left him for like years or if they'd like even just shoehorned it in and it turned out that dominic cooper's character was sultan van helsing or so, do you know what I mean like and then his yeah, descendant yeah. is like you could then could you could have had Dominic mm-hmm. Cooper be the descendant of the Van Helsing to come like like in the way that they set up um, Anthony Hopkins in Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't care exactly. about exactly. Kind of see, that would have been a better ending. That would have been a much better ending. You just see that same actor who's obviously a descendant, I suppose. Yeah. The um, I wasn't gonna say. I lost it. <laughs> there, <laughs> oh no, that's a... what I was gonna say. The um, the the dark universe thing. They are all doing the same thing. Where these are all supposed to be bad dudes. Like I Frankenstein, or yeah. I, I guess Frankenstein's a bit more ambiguous. He's just dealt that shit hand. But um, the other like the mummy, which ends up being you know Tom Tom Cruise jumping off things. Like he's a good guy. All these. They're trying to make these super best friends things with all these things that are classically villains. It just seems bizarre. It maybe yeah. some of them could be good, but making all of them like fundamentally good. Yeah. It's just well, bizarre. Get, They're not the Avengers. Like it's weird. I guess it's that argument that a lot of people have with this kind of um Disneyfication of like villains. Yeah. Like, you know, like we said it of like Maleficent and Cruella and yeah, stuff. Cruella, like that, it's like, yeah. Well, oh, we'll give them a backstory and like make them. I don't, I don't know, like, because with Cruella, it's like she she does seem still like she's unhinged. It's like that thing of you slightly understand why she is like she is, but at the same time, you don't like you. You still go, you're a bit, you're a bit fucking kooky. Whereas this is like, yeah, we're just gonna we we need to hang that we need to hang our hat on luke evans so we need to make him like as likable as possible and it's like that that's not fun and like not to be like yeah not what they did in the book but like it is that yeah. thing of like Bra- yeah france ford coppola's film does it really interesting as i kind of mentioned like near the start is that like you can understand the why the way he is like and he's as you said he's yeah more of a tragic character than it is of mm. like i don't know they're, they're this film doesn't play in the gray areas it is very like black and white yes exactly 
he just stays like objectively good. Like almost <laughs> there's a couple of little because in with I haven't seen Cruella, but I imagine it's supposed to be canon, right? So she does this film doesn't change the fact that she still becomes the Cruella we knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kills puppies, right? Whereas this one, it's like it's never this is he's never gonna become the bad guy, which is just again, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but it's just at least with those <laughs> other ones, that they're prequels that make you a little bit more sympathetic, but knowing that they're fundamentally doomed to, to become the bad guy. I don't necessarily think I, I do think those films probably have tonal issues in making you feel you know, Cruella. I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the trailers and it's all a bit quirky and, you know. But she kills puppies eventually. That's fucked up. And then <laughs> they have the rev- <laughs> you have the reverse of that, with which no one else seems to care about except me, but with Loki. I don't know if you've watched Loki yeah. um, in the Marvel Universe. Fucking terrorist, man. Like, you know, <laughs> Osama Bin Laden killed a few thousand people in New York in um, you know, 20 years ago. Loki killed like thousands upon thousands of New Yorkers. Thousands. And now he gets his own TV show where we're like, oh, let's follow him on his zany adventures. That's bizarre to me. (laughs) Like how do you? So they've done the opposite where they've started pure evil but without even much character growth other than a few hugs with his brother. Like he's just a good guy now. Like how do you go from that to that? He, He killed people, so many people. And the fact that the timeline of that show is supposed to be him at his most evil, because it's obviously like yeah, it's because him it never, from never... two thousand and eleven, like when the first Avengers, it's right after the he... attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's he's just killed. You're right. That's a good point. I didn't even think of it. He's just killed all these. It's just happened. All the other stuff, like yeah. Thor three and all those things, hasn't happened yet. He's yeah. still pure evil. But then he meets Owen Wilson and he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm a good guy now. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bizarre. A, it is bizarre. Um, so this film originally, probably a more fitting title was going to be called Dracula Year Zero. And it had yes. Sam Worthington attached as the star. I How saw do you think that. that would have turned out? Would you, would you think it would have made it a better or, or a worse film? I think worse. I like the title better, but Sam Worthington, God bless him. I think Luke Evans did a good job with what he had here. Sam Worthington, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's a bit vanilla. I don't know if he could carry a movie really. And it, like, yeah, unless he's painted blue. And direct the director was going to be Alex Proyas as well, another Aussie. Um, he did. He did. Uh, what did he? Do? Gods of Egypt. Yeah, I was going to say, um, this very much feels like his wheelhouse, right? Like It does, kind of, right? That kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, like, what else did he do? He did Gods of Egypt and did the, Knowing the as well, the, the Nick Cage film. Like that kind oh, of. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen oh, that. He did The Crow as well and um, Dark City. So he's done good stuff as well. And I tell you what, Gods of Egypt is a terrible film, but you'll have a good time. So... <laughs> I think, and actually, I think I could be wrong. I think the the writers of this film are the mm-hmm. writers of a few Alex Proyas films. So I guess maybe that was the script. He must have been part of the creative process at one point, even though he never ended up directing it. Um, but that, yeah, that, I mean, that, the name makes a lot more sense. 
the the writers of this like is that's a really interesting like thing to bring up because it kind of they have very much um created a niche for themselves in like they uh, yeah. they wrote Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter, which almost feels like it could uh, have been yeah. put into this like yeah dark universe or even like because it was basically um vin diesel as van helsing which like sounds better on paper than it does in reality (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if it sounds good on on anything (laughs) (laughs) Um, as you mentioned gods of egypt and um power rangers from 2017 Uh, and they've also like they wrote um, Mo- uh, Morbius, the Jared Leto uh, yeah. starring Marvel property, I think it is all about like a kind yeah, of. Yeah, I'm a little vague on that one. Uh, it's um, it's part of the Spider-Man world, so it's a Sony thing. Yeah, so it means it's, it's not going to be as good. <laughs> and it's going to be it's it's yeah. another it's another vampire thing. So they kind of very much. Oh yeah, good point. Have got got a hard on for this kind of fantasy world of like. Vampires yeah, and witch hunters and stuff like that. Um, yeah, is there, is there any points? Is there any points that we've kind of missed on? Missed on this? Is there any m- moments or kind of aspects of it that feel like we need to talk about? I do think aesthetically, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed watching it. Like, uh, I think this the film overall benefited from me going in with. Low expectations, but also no knowledge of what to expect at all. Because I think I just gen generally think watching a movie with no context is often best because you more actively watch. It's like an episode of Black Mirror. You don't even know what the premise is yet, and that's mm-hmm. almost like part of the fun. What was this even about? So I think that always I always just tend to enjoy viewing experiences like that more. But then beyond that, it just looked good, and again. Like I said, I was watching this not knowing that the Coppola connection was the cinematographer. <laughs> so I wasn't even looking. I wasn't even looking for that. That wasn't like on my brain as make sure you're paying attention to the cinematography. But I was like, it looks fucking great. As as ridiculous as a lot of it is, I still think it looks good. Like um, just that that image of him climbing up to the cave, yeah. as unrealistic as that is, it looks fucking cool. Um, all the stuff with... Uh, you know, turning into a flock of bats and that kind of thing. Again, as silly as it is, executed well. Like, it looked fucking cool, man. <laughs> it looked cool. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have the vocabulary to break down exactly <laughs> what was so good looking about it, but it looked good. It looked good. There is a particular shot <laughs> in this I really, really enjoyed, and it's during a fight sequence. We see a fight play out in the reflection of a sword that's kind of either been like impaled. Oh, uh, yeah. And I thought like that yeah. was like re- like a really like interesting way to like show us like the destruction. Yeah, just show us a fight going on. And I know like a lot of people, and I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but the the Suicide Squad like that has a moment in uh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, you see a fight take it take place like in the reflection of Peacemaker's helmet, like the John Cena character. Ah, uh, okay. 
and people are going like, oh, has that ever been done before? And it's like, well, yeah, it kind of has. Sure like, has. We've got it, we got it in no Dra- one saw it. <laughs> Dracula fucking Untold in 2014, guys. Man, that's a good point because on that, that scene exactly, I'm watching that and I'm comparing it in my brain to Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola one, and how that was all practical effects, all in-camera stuff. And that is obviously the exact opposite of all that. And that's the one thing I think you got to give credit where credit is due, that at least it wasn't in any way trying to do anything similar to that. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't – it had a point of view at least and it had an aesthetic it was shooting for that was that hadn't been done with this particular story before. It wasn't the 2000s, hey, it's Dracula, but now he's, you know <laughs> – He's in wraparound shades. and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like none of that shit. So for all its faults, there's something about this movie that I do kind of respect. Mm-hmm. I had a good time. Like I wasn't bored. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot. I don't want to say it's a good movie, but it was, <laughs> it was better than I, it's better than I was expecting. Perfect. And, it, well, you know, sometimes Sometimes we watch a lot of bad movies on our podcast and sometimes it just hits you on the right day and you enjoy it. So it's probably also just one of those things where it was just what I needed that day. <laughs> well, sometimes um, you need like a, a, a two three-star movie to kind of just like switch yeah. your brain off, kind of go like, it is what it is. It's definitely a bit of fun. Like It could have been so much worse, I reckon. Obviously, I feel, I feel like we've... Probably, yeah, I don't know, like totally. We've, we've pointed out the flaws, but there are like... Well, let's point out another one. I just want to play a clip of uh, Dominic <laughs> Cooper uh, talking just to hear his accent. <laughs> Lord Impaler. My oldest of friends. I miss our days together. All I miss from my time with you is the coffee. It's true. My father's palace was a cruel place for a young boy far from home. But soon you talked like us, prayed like us, fought like us. <laughs> Speaking of which, I am owed 1,000 boys. So one of the things I wanted to kind of mention about this, and I guess like it's, it's a kind of big is the fact that there is not a single like kind of person from the country they are supposed to be. Like, do you know what I mean? This is very much yeah. white British people. And there's a weird thing about Dominic <laughs> Cooper that he is used to play, like, a lot of Eastern characters, do you know I mean? Like, Middle Eastern characters, whether it was... Really? He, he's in that film, The Double, which is all about Saddam Hussein's uh, yeah. son, who had, like, a kind of um, almost, like, real-life stunt double who he'd kind of send out to, do you know what I mean? Like, to create diversion so uh. he could, like, do, like, get away from paparazzi and the, the army and stuff like that. And it's like... Yeah, because it even looks like Dominic Cooper's character. There is a weird bit of like browning up for the for the role. Like I think that's like one yeah. one one thing of this film where it's a bit it's a bit eggy, right? It's a bit like well, what's 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 going that, on with these accents? Stuff, there was a turning point <clears throat> where suddenly all that stuff just is so outdated, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The, any kind of darkening of skin, it's just like whole world of actors out there <laughs> that have the exact skin you're looking for. Yes. Why do you need to get a white guy? 
Um, but then the accents, the accent thing is such <laughs> a pet peeve of mine. It's like um, the one. I think the worst offender I've ever seen is um, Alexander, Oliver Stone, Alexander, and uh, Colin Farrell's Alexander with, I guess, the the classic historical general English accent, I suppose. Mm. But Angelina Jolie, <laughs> who plays his mother, she's like, like she's so it's cartoony in her accent, which whatever. I know they didn't have English accents either. My, my thing on it is just be consistent. Whatever it is, yeah. be consistent. We just did um, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves on our <laughs> podcast. And that is atrocious with the accents because even the same characters slip in and out. In the beginning yeah. of the film, I, mean, I don't know if they shot it in chronological order, probably not, but in the beginning of the film, Robin Hood is sort of trying to do an English accent and then by the end of it, he's just straight up American. It's, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I hate it so much. It really it takes me out of the movie every time it happens. It's just choose one. Choose one. <laughs> I think the thing that really throws me off with this is the fact that like people who are supposed to be from the same place is some of them are doing accents. Yeah. Like, like we get exactly. that monk, that monk who does the accent and it's like, is this just supposed to be like, cause he's a monk. He speaks like that or like, yeah. Cause he's tra- like, is, is he more Transylvanian than, and especially like when you get the backstory exactly. of Vlad the Impaler, where it's like he spent, most of his life in Turkey. So, like, if anything, like, yeah, he, could, he probably would have more of a. Instead of we just get this kind of like angry Welshman, like a bit, a bit sexy and yeah. emo, like, kind of like, I need well, to do clip what you... I need to do. <laughs> that clip you played, he literally says, You talked like us, you know, this kind of. Yeah. He doesn't talk like you at all. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. And you're right. That is, that is the, the chief offender in this scenario is when it's people from the same. So in Alexander, it was a mother, mother and son, with <laughs> a completely different accent. And in this case, yeah, people, it's because he's the more, it suits his character more to sound a bit more exotic. I think, actually, now that I think of it, the worst offender is Disney back in the day with films like Aladdin, where all yeah. the good people had American accents and all the baddies. Had slight, slightly darker skin and that sort of classic generic foreign accent thing going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think a film that really does it well is The Death of Stalin in the fact that, like, they oh, just let saw that. everyone do their own accents because it's like we're already making yeah. a pastiche about um, kind of like, do you know what I mean, like Russia? Like, so it's like, yeah. It's like, why not just let every... Steve Buscemi sounds like Steve Buscemi. It's like uh, Jason Isaacs sounds like Jason... Everyone sounds... And it's like, we're all... We're buying into the farce of it anyway. Like... Yeah. Yeah. If anything, every, if, if all those actors were doing, yeah, I speak like this, it would take you more out <laughs> of it as opposed to going, oh, the dialogue, the, the story in the dialogue is good. I would... I, I, I yeah. will let this pass. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, no, that's what that person actually sounds like. And it's like, cause it's that thing. So, it's like, so it's, if, if, if you're going to do a film where people are from another country, don't put on the, the, the sloppy accents. Like, 
go full hog. Yeah. Do it in that language. Because in this film, we get people speaking yeah. in Turkish and that it's only like, it's only for certain scenes and stuff like this. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's a, it's, it's a whole other topic, right? That's, some, that's something you start to notice now. Again, because we're always doing 80s and 90s movies. And in more modern movies, they do. I mean, it depends what it is. If the whole movie's set in another country, then they actually don't. But usually, nowadays, if it's a scene with um, uh, a bunch of characters that are from another country, they will speak in their native tongue. Whereas <laughs> in the 90s and in the 80s, they would still be speaking English, even though there's no. English person there. <laughs> I, I think so the big the big offender recently is Black Widow, where like you've got Oh, like, actually, yes. I think that's where it came up. Florence Pugh, Rachel Weiss, and David Harbour all like going, Yes, so let's do what <laughs> yeah. we need to do. And it's like well, they're all rush like they're all Russian. They would clearly be speaking Russian. <laughs> yeah. It's, that might have been what triggered this. I think I might have read something on that recently. Because yeah, that is hundred percent it. <laughs> at least, at least have some. Just have more of it. At least it's it's funny. Amazing. Well, let's let's get on to rating this film. And the unique Ooh, okay. way uh, we do this on this podcast is by asking what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film. So I think. Uh, Obvious reasons. Uh, it's got to be a red, yep. dark, rich um, uh, Shiraz, perhaps. And I was th- first. I was thinking, you know, maybe it's um, it's not a it's not a fancy wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it might be the one that's uh, it's not the cheapest wine either. It's not, it's goon, not like right? cheap not wine per se. Yeah, it's not a goon sack, but it might be the one that's on special. So you just you grab it. You wouldn't normally grab it, but it's on special, so you grab it. Okay. The other the other angle I was actually thinking was I do think this is a good flight movie. Um, I think on flights, you you know, criteria for a good flight movie is will I be bored? No, I don't think you'll be bored watching this. Um, does it matter if I fall asleep in the middle? Probably not. <laughs> and is is it just interesting enough? And so along those lines, I would say, um, yeah, whatever red wine you can get on the flight kind of kind of works as as a analogous for the film. It's just kind of there. I would probably never watch it again, but I wouldn't have a hard time recommending it to someone who is semi interested in Dracula. Like, it's, why not? Perfect. Well, yeah, I always ask: Are there, is it is it a top shelf, mid shelf, or bottom shelf wine? You say. If I'm limited to three, I would say middle. I guess just because for all the reasons I said, I don't. This is not the best movie ever made. This yeah. is not even necessarily a good movie, <laughs> but I think it at least has a take on the tale. And I think films, I think characters like Dracula or like Batman, there's room for all these different versions. Yeah, because we all know it so well. So this is not the definitive version, and it doesn't need to be. It's just another angle yeah. and a relatively worthy angle, except for the flaws we've pointed out, <laughs> making him a good guy, superhero, fast forward to the 2000s. That's a huge mistake. If he ended up being a bad guy, I would I would say this may be close to the top shelf. I think it's – I would go as far to say it is underrated. 
Okay. Only because it's rated only because it's rated so low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, its run tomato score is like eighteen percent or something. I would say this is probably more like a closer to fifty, maybe. Um, yeah, so it's got a that six, just seems really low. Six point yeah, three on IMDb and forty percent on Metacritic as well. So it's like kind of yeah, like twenty five Rotten Tomatoes. So like, I'll be interested. I'll just quickly check what the audience score is because. That that sometimes yeah, is, good point. is a good barometer for what what regular people think of this film. Fifty eight percent. That seems a bit more like on level. Yeah. Would you? I mean, let's go. Yeah, it it very much is in the fifties. It's like very much. Yeah, it's in the fifties. Take, take it yeah. or leave it. Like like you're not gonna. If you're on your deathbed and somebody said like, <laughs> "Is there any films that you're like devastated you you never saw?" You're not gonna be like, oh, "Dracula Untold from 2014." Like, I wish I had more time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're both neither of us are ever gonna speak about this film again. I'm sure no. it's never gonna come up in conversation. <laughs> but it's just it's fine. It's fine. And there's some some elements to it that are really good, and there's some elements to it that are pretty shitty. Yeah. But there's, I think it's fine. I think a moment I kind of like took against. I don't know why was when he's doing that kind of last Airbender style stuff at the end, where he's kind of like, yeah, uh, summoning the bats and creating fists out of bats to take out these armies. And it's like, you could have done that. Huh? Yeah, why didn't you do that earlier? Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> and, and it's and Eddie can control the weather. So yeah. it, what it can just always block out the sun, so you, that you have no Achilles heel anymore, and and that stuff was in the trailer. So again, I think if I if I had seen the trailer, it, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I, I think would have tainted the whole thing for the use of like that kind of slowed down female singer version of "Everybody Wants to Rule the World" by uh, <laughs> Tears for Fears. I, my my expectations for this film would have been rock bottom i would have been like no yeah i would have dreaded having to watch it yeah the trailer trailer does not service this film well (laughs) 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 so before we get into the unanswerable like yeah the impossible to answer questions i always like to see if there's any (laughs) coppola connections between this film so anyone who's in front of or behind the camera who's worked with a coppola elsewhere in their career did you manage to find any, Tristan? I did not. But so, as we've established, I'm a little rusty on the old, <laughs> on the well, couple of family tree. It, it, it's fine because this one was like very, very like I had to dig deep to find okay. where the connections were. So there's an actor called Ronan Viber who is also in Saving Mr. Banks, which uh, John Schwartzman is the DOP. And ah, uh, yeah. Jason Schwartzman plays one of the um, right, like yeah, one of the musicians who wrote the music to Mary Poppins. Michael DeLuca, yeah. one of the producers on this film, also produced Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Free, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, Drive Angry, Simone, and Little Nicky, which respectively, mm. John Schwartzman was the DOP on the first two of the. Uh, Nicholas Cage stars in the Ghost Rider films and Drive Angry and Simone, I think. Jason Schwartzman's in it and uh, Little Nicky stars. Yeah. Well, has 
Patricia Arquette in it. So yeah, that's 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 another connection we have to this film. That's interesting because this one, you said you had to dig deep for that, but then what you found is if this is one that we had to dig deep for, it just goes to show you how beneficial it is to be in an influential family because you've got a foot in the door in every single one of those yeah. scenarios. If you're an actor or a director or whatever the case may be, it's just it's just kind of wild. Did you see there was there was a tweet recently that went viral for all the wrong reasons and it was Spielberg's daughter, yeah, um, Stephen King's son. Who else was it? A Sean Penn's son as well, and yeah, yeah, one other person. Nepotism, the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> they're all, so they're all getting together to make a movie, but yeah, it all was getting retweeted as nepotism, the movie, and it's just it's just kind of crazy. Like how it's got to be hard to break into Hollywood if you're not. And you always hear, well, not always, but I often hear people I like. You sudden, you eventually realize that they're the son of someone, whether mm-hmm. or not they're they're the son of you know a famous actor. That they're, they're they're in the mix, yeah. and similar to those couple of connections you just made, that there's just this web of influence that then you can just tap into. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like that thing when you realize like Dakota Johnson. It's like oh, well, like yeah. even some of they are like really obvious or like is it lily collins like oh, it's phil collins daughter yeah like, there's i think there was there's one it's, it's escaping me right now but there's one like recently and like i was like I, I think it might have been the guy who's in um uh captain america and the winter soldier who kind of plays like the the, the uh, yeah and it's um Wyatt Russell, and it's like, oh, he's Goldie Horn. Oh, yeah, Kurt Russell. And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and um, Kurt Russell's son. I was like, fucking hell. I was like, is there, is there anyone in Hollywood who isn't related to exactly from like the previous generation? It's insane. Exactly. And then there's even like, I don't know who. There's a bunch I'm forgetting, but one that comes to mind is Jonah Hill. I don't know who his parents are, but I feel like they're of significance in some way, shape, or form. But it was also childhood friends with um. Uh, what's his name from Maroon Five, which just tells me that they're, they're in these circles of you know famous people. <laughs> like it's just they're just not in our world. Like the, you're already in the circle of of influence in Hollywood. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. That's yeah. There's I don't know that. I think that's why I get behind somebody like a a Stephen Graham, who's like a British actor who's like. Come from like relatively nothing. Do you know what I mean? A, a working class, yeah, guy who was in like uh, like snatch and stuff like that. And then like when you see him in like The Irishman alongside Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, it's like a real like <clears throat> it's a win. It's a win yeah. for the small guys. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I always Greg and I always talk about on the podcast like the ones that just come from unexpected places. Like the fact that Ray Romano is like a solid, serious actor now. It's just, just fucking <laughs> <up>. <laughs> he's in, he's in the, he's in uh, the Irishman as well. Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's great. I love those stories. Um, but yeah, they're few and far between. Like, unfortunately, when you start looking at Wikipedia pages and things, you realize, Oh, every, everyone's got like, yeah. What, parents. When their parents are, are highlighted blue on Wikipedia, you're like, yeah. Oh, okay okay nepotism's at play exactly amazing well speaking of nepotism 
let, yeah, let's get mm-hmm. on to the impossible question. So the first one is, yes, which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies, the entire rest of the family. Is it controversial to say that I think this is an easy one for me? Because I just have to keep, I just have to keep Cage. Yeah, yeah, that, well, yeah. How? <laughs> That's perfect. How? Because how could I not keep Cage? Obviously, you're sacrificing a few things there, and you know, a bit like a, a bit like Vlad the Impaler. You know, you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. If 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 it takes sacrificing the rest of the Coppola family to save Nick Cage, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> That's just how it is. Although maybe he wouldn't have a career without the family, as we've discussed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. His filmography will stay intact by hook or crook. Yeah, okay. It, it will be yes. that somebody else directed those films that Francis Ford okay. Coppola directed. I don't know, Peter Bogdanovich or some, someone like that would have directed them <laughs> instead. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the way around it. And, yeah, I, I love the fact that you've gone for a totally selfish answer. Those people who come yeah. on and sometimes say like, oh, for, 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 fit for the, like, the wider scope of cinema as a whole. And it's like, no, I love it when people come on and go, this is what I want. <laughs> I, I want Nick Cage. So a uh, fantastic answer. And, I, I've um, got to work within my field of expertise too. You know, I, could, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I like Francis Ford Coppola, but I'm more of a Kubrick man. Like if 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 Kubrick was a couple, I'd probably save him. But um, just I just love Cage so much. Um, I know I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> He's just fucking great. I was saying to someone the other day, he, I mean, most people obviously know he's great. He makes a lot of shit movies, but he makes a lot of great stuff too. But he gets a lot of. He does have this tarnished reputation because of all the shitty movies. But Bruce Willis. Robert De Niro, they make so many shitty movies. Yeah. And for whatever reason, none of it sticks. I, I don't get why, why Cage has so much, uh, I don't know, there's always a bit of a smirk when you say you're a Cage man. Yeah, well, I, I always say that um, Bruce Willis deserves the shit that Nicholas Cage yeah. gets because the stories you hear of Bruce Willis as well is he's not like... He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's not the coolest guy as well. Whereas, like all the stories you hear from of Nick Cage, is he turns up on set, he knows the script backwards and forwards. He he has all these ideas for the character. He understands like the budget is low, <laughs> so I'm just gonna come. I'm gonna act, fish bash bosh. Like, let's get it done. Yeah. And I'm like, fingers crossed. Like this year, like and then the next coming year, obviously the kind of reaction we've already been seeing for Pig in the US and obviously yeah. in the coming months it would be released worldwide, like that we're gonna get we're gonna get a new age of cage. Like I think I think he's like gonna Yeah. He's gonna ruffle some feathers and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. I'm equally excited but also perhaps cautious in equal measure. Because I've I've been here before. <laughs> Think, all right, Cage is back, baby, and then he's then he's not quite. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. But man, I hope so. 
Yeah, I, th- I, I yeah. think he's quite like quietly been doing some really interesting stuff and kind of like carving out a niche yeah. for himself in that like pig on paper if you read that synopsis sounds like it could be a terrible john wick style knockoff and it's like yeah something completely different entirely so like that's cool yeah and i haven't seen mandy i heard mandy is something special yeah um yeah I'm, I, that's one of those ones where i'm kind of saving it because I, I really want to <laughs> be in the right zone for that one yeah, I think you've got yeah. to be. It's a lot. It's a lot more of a heavier film than again. Again, I think there's that thing. Yeah, Cage is just pigeonholed to being the guy who like goes batshit crazy on yeah on screen. Whereas like sometimes like the, the the films I love it the most is when he does that and it's warranted. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh yes, that's what the character would do in that scenario. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yes, yeah, Mandy's a hundred percent a prime example. For that. It's like a, a moment in that I won't spoil it for you, but like when he reacts yeah. in a kind of like mad way, it's like, oh, yeah. If I was in that situation, like I'd be like I'd probably be worse than that. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of yeah, yeah. You, 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 yeah. Um, well, let let's wrap this up with the final two questions uh, based on this mm-hmm. film alone. Are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time? So literally based on this film alone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> how how can I? I can't say yes to that. <laughs> but, you know, he did a good job in, in terms of what he was in charge of. Um, yeah. But I, in speaking for the whole family, less so. I I had to change that question just because beforehand it was like it felt unfair because there's so many of them to be like are they the greatest? Yeah. Fact, it's like going like I don't know. Oh yeah, I'm they're gonna, the biggest. <laughs> yeah, they're the biggest. So like I guess by numbers, do you know what I mean? it's like I'd reckon you would win a fight with your family would win a fight with that family. It's like well no, there's four of us. There's like fifty-seven of them. Like they're gonna beat the shit out of us. <laughs> oh, I tell you what though, you made me think. Um, while I am a Luke Evans fan and I think he did a decent job in this movie, I think Nick Cage would make a great Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. Or, right? Or, or, <laughs> or some kind of like, imagine Nick Cage somewhere within the kind of dark universe, whether it is a yeah a Dracula or something like that. Like He's kind of, I think he's a massive fan of that kind of stuff as well. Like, if you watch uh, and he would be just he would hit the right note. Mm. He would be on the right level. He'd know exactly what this movie yeah. needs. He'd yeah. he'd be a bit cartoony, probably, <laughs> as it should be. Um oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh yeah, this is probably the most important question of the podcast. Uh, which is what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Now this is one of those ones. I don't want this to be a, a cop out answer, mm-hmm. but I I like not knowing. Like I don't I don't really have a, an answer. I just love when movies don't explain shit. Mm. I love an ambiguous ending, not not so ambiguous that it's like not confusing for the sake of being confusing <laughs> or anything like that, but just not spelling everything out that leaves you a bit like oh ooh, something to ponder. Yeah. And so. You know, like, is is Deckard a replicant or not? I know they've now it's canon that he 
years, I suppose. But I like not knowing. Yeah. And yeah, in a similar way, I kind of just like not knowing what they said. Um, and I have, I even, I would, even having said that, I was like, okay, come up with something though. I just couldn't really come up with anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, what's the best answer you've had to that? Well, a lot of them are kind of like joke answers. Like a, a lot of people yeah. are like, uh, I think a, a good recent one was like, I should have picked, um, this must be the place. Naive melody is my karaoke song. Like that. That was. A, <laughs> or, um, That's good. Damn. Okay, I should have come up with something more clever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess what I thought of recently, like a joke one, was like, I, I've got, I've got a number for a lawyer just in case you ever need one, which is, I guess, <laughs> I guess topical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Be wary of Mickey Mouse. That that could be a good one as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Tristan, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, where can people find you? Everything you're doing with the yeah, fantastic um, Double Impact podcast. Uh, so Double Impact podcast, you can find us on all of the, the podcasting things. Uh, also on Instagram and Facebook. All under the same name. We're all about we, – we revisit movies from the 80s and 90s, basically movies we grew up with and decide how they hold up through the harsh realities of a 2021 lens. 2020 <laughs> sounds better, but 2021. Um, and, yeah, we've uh, got a few juicy apps coming up. But a whole – we're about 130 episodes deep right now, so there's probably something you would like. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel called The Pop Critic mm-hmm. – which I'll be honest is a bit of an experiment right now. <laughs> um, so content is is a little sporadic, but it's um, you know some video essays and um, some stuff. <laughs> really, a mix of the two. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. No worries. This was a delight, an absolute delight. Thank you once again to my fantastic guest, Tristan Burrell. Be sure to check out his amazing podcast wherever you get your little bodies in your ears. <laughs> and thank you so much to you guys for listening. And week in, week out, if you listen week in, week out, I bloody love you. If this is your first time, please be sure to dive into the previous episodes. I've got. There's a lot of fun stuff and it's weird and varied, especially now that we're on this kind of Coppola bent of the podcast it's going to some weird and wonderful places and obviously if you know the Coppola family uh, filmography we've got some amazing places to go in the future if you've got any suggestions of stuff that you've got a burning desire to see covered relatively soon don't hesitate to get in touch which is cagedinpod at gmail.com for the email or you can catch me on all the socials so that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and even letterboxed at caged in pod as for next week on the podcast we will be venturing back over to looking at a nick cage film that is right guys this coming friday the 20th of august sees the release 
of Michael Zarnowski's Pig. You may have seen the chatter from the American release that it's a career high. Uh, that may be true. <laughs> and I will be joined by Andrew Pope to talk about this film. So do be sure to check out that one next Tuesday. Also be sure to check out Caged in Pigcast, where I've talked to people in front of and behind the camera, including producer Vanessa Block, actor David Nell, chef Christopher Zarnowski, and editor Brett W. Buckman. So remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And as ever, I have been your host, Petrus Patsyllivus, your guide through the crazy world that is the Coppola family tree. So remember to keep it caged in and I'll catch you next time. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.